0: is always to leave them better than they came. Doesn't always happen, but we try. But for Julie and Jesse Miller, I think we hit the ball out of the park. They toward us, us toward them. They have been one of the most precious families we have ever had the privilege of pastoring. They have been such an incredible um, asset to our church family. And the Lord... Is blessing them because Jesse is uh, taking a position up in uh, Prescott Arizona where I used to camp as a teenager and I lived in Arizona so I know exactly where it is and so I might knock on your front door and need a place to stay for a while I don't know you never know what'll happen at least visiting and uh, within a few years the goal is for him to become the senior senior pastor of that church Jolie has landed yeah go ahead why don't you guys come on down Julie uh, has a, a job as a, a phys ed teacher in a public, is that an elementary school, Julie? Elementary school. And, uh, and both of their parents uh, have and are moving up there, so they're going to have a little uh, Walton experience up there, if you guys remember the Waltons, if you're old enough. Everybody's going to be living up in Prescott, Arizona, and Jesse's going to be pastoring, and Julie's going to be teaching, and she's also overseeing the children's ministry up there, and it is such a gift to that city. And uh, tremendous, bittersweet for us. It's a, it's, a, it's a loss, but it's also a win. It's a loss, and obviously losing you guys from our body, our local body, it's, um, it's not easy to, to happily send people like you. Mark, Hope, come on up. Get up here. What are you doing? And, uh, but it's a win because our relationship has really worked well. And uh, you guys have been a blessing to us. We've been a blessing to you. It's the way it's supposed to be. And we get to send you guys, right? Yeah. Some are sent and some just went. Yeah. But you guys are being sent. We like that. So why don't you guys come over here more toward the center. And would you like to say anything to uh, this body before um, you guys? I want to see if I can figure out how to use this after all these years. If you like to say any last words to your family here.
1: Uh, I just want to say thank you for how you embraced us and allowed us to be part of this church for a couple years, and uh, many of you know our, our testimony, but we were broken, and I really feel like we're, we've been put back together and we're being sent out, and so I, I really appreciate it, and I also want to say that my wife told me not to wear
0: this shirt today, so. <laughs> <laughs> you still haven't learned, Memorial, have you? It's Memorial Day. It is Memorial Day. What's the matter with you?
2: Um, I just want to say thank you also. Uh, like Jesse said, we are, have been put back together. Um, but also, I have had so much fun uh, working in the trenches with all the teachers and all the volunteers. And I was sharing with MJ this morning that, um, you know, when you work alongside somebody in the trenches is where you really bond. And um, because you get to know the real people. You get to know who you are. And you get to forgive people and walk with people and grow. And um, I really feel like God has put the children's ministry back on its feet. And I think it's ready to fly. So um, I know that it will will be awesome.
0: Amen. Can we thank these guys? All right. So we're going to uh, lay hands on you and bless you. And we're going to send you guys. So um, I'm going to give Mark the mic. As Mark operates strongly in the gift of prophecy. And uh, this is being recorded. So if he says anything worthwhile, you guys can uh, get it. <laughs> okay. And I don't understand why this is blinking red. at us. I hate nor it. Nor do I. It's yeah. usually green. Yeah, it's usually green when it's working. Okay. Yeah. Well, right. um, we, we may. Here we go. Green. Here we go. Here we go. We got it. Okay. Maybe well, in may um, a fresh battery. I don't know. Here we go.
1: Yeah, I do have a prophetic word for you. Uh, first of all, um, Julie. It's really sad that you don't like this shirt because, uh, and you only want to see it once a year, but in Prescott, they all wear shirts like that to church. So I, I prophesy a new spirit of open-mindedness upon you. I just have to tell you, you guys have served here with um, real gentleness and grace and, and humility, overwhelming humility. And that's going to be the key to your success. Change is going to happen slowly, but it's going to happen inevitably. And it will be in large part because of your grace and humility. So you're going you're gonna to really impact this church. You're a man of influence. And the future is, is in God's hands. It's not your future, it's his future. So every little bump along the road it's just part of what he's working out. He wants you to have peace about this. And joy, and to relax into it so lord we pray that spirit of yeah. peace yes, that spirit of relaxation and which comes out of trust we pray that on both of them on yes, the lord. whole family lord jesus that and this will be the, the culmination us. of dreams and visions that you've always longed for and it came yes. about in a way you didn't expect and isn't that just like god thank you lord
2: Um, I just want to say, those of us who know you guys know that you went through a a couple of really, really difficult seasons. And you were probably wondering, God, we really felt like we heard you whenever we went to this place or went to that place. And I want to say that you did because that was, those seasons were integral parts of your spiritual formation that's going to make you the leader you need to be in this next season. That's good. So don't carry any sort of what was that about. That was all part of making you Uh, the Christian and the leader that you need to be so that you know how to shepherd people um, with love and with
0: grace. Woo! Amen. So we send you to Prescott. We send you to the next divine assignment that God has for you. So respect you for being spirit-led people. Not having your own agenda or your own ambitions, but really keeping your ear to the track. God, what do you want? And then you boldly go and do it. And so with great pride, and with joy. We send you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to Prescott, Arizona to rock that city with the gospel. And we declare many souls saved, many people radically, supernaturally healed, people encouraged and brought up out of despair and out of the muck and the mire onto solid ground that is going to be one of the gifts you bring, the most powerful gift. As you have been spiritually healed, you are going to bring an anointing of spiritual healing to those who have been spiritually abused. They're going to wipe the 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 You're going to wipe the uh, the the mud out of their eyes and they're going to see Jesus clearly again and trust leadership again and be re reconnected to ministry again and flow in the anointing again and see if God bear much fruit through them because you two shepherds have come to lift up the wounded and restore and heal them for Jesus' sake. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Sure going to miss you guys. Thank come you. here, give me a big old hug. Get over here. <laughs> amen. Okay, stay up here. <laughs> amen. Just young children who are radically praising the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. If... Um, if your, your children continue to praise the Lord towards disturbing others, uh, we just bought a brand new TV, and it's right in that overflow room. Uh, it's an infant care room. So if you've got these doors and to the right, there's a TV so you can watch and hear the service uh, with your appraiser back there behind the curtains. And uh, so. would appreciate if you would do that uh, as they praise the Lord. Let's get into the word. Jesus, thank you so much the power of your presence, the power of your word, as our culture changes, your word does not. As our lives change, your word does not. As our emotions go up and down, your word does not. You have said that if we build our lives on your word, we're building it on a rock, that when the storms and the floods come and beat against our lives, our lives will stand strong because we have founded them on your word. Strengthen us today, Father. Let your philosophies change any philosophies we're carrying in our minds that don't line up with your word. And everybody said amen. Okay, so we're continuing on the love series today. What does love look like? This message I'm going to preach today, whenever I teach on this particular topic, it brings more freedom than uh, most any other topic I teach on. And so, let's go. I believe that there is an insidious ploy masterfully crafted. that the en- I believe the enemy has crafted this, that is bringing tremendous destruction to our world. And this is the ploy. The belief that offending somebody is the new unpardonable sin. That if what you think or believe or say or do, if it offends me, shame on you, and you should be punished for it. This may not seem like a big deal, but the reality is, this is why I said the enemy's behind it. It is not bringing us together, which it is couched as bringing us closer together in unity because we're being sensitive to one another, actually it is ripping our society apart. It's creating broken relationships, the loss of careers, the loss of reputations. People are being fined and even imprisoned in some countries because when somebody shares an opinion or a thought or don't agree with somebody's lifestyle, they're calling it a hate crime in Canada and UK and people are literally being imprisoned for it. And ultimately, and again, the reason I have no qualms putting the enemy's name on this is because ultimately it will shut down the gospel, because the gospel is the most offensive thing on earth. That is why God's people, when they, when the culture, when God's culture, would move away from the Ten Commandments, which was God's, God's uh, ten rules for living, was the, as God's people moved away from it, and God would send prophets. To speak the truth into the culture, God's own people would kill God, kill God's prophets. They didn't want to hear. They shut their ears. They shut up. Don't tell us that, because we love our sin, and it comes in very slowly. It's kind of drip, 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 drip through media, through through music, through movies through education and curriculum that's being taught and then parents start buying into it and they start teaching their children and all, uh, the value system of our culture moves farther and farther away from God. Then when somebody stands up to preach the Word of God or you share God's core values from the Word of God, one of the Ten Commandments, people shut their ears, they call you a hater, a bigot, and they will even eventually call it a hate crime. One of my most graphic examples of this most recently was when a team of us went out door-to-door here in Penisquitas just to share the gospel with people. It's called good news, by the way. Did you know that? That's what the word gospel means, good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. You get to go to heaven for free. That's pretty good news, right? Knock on the door, and this guy answers. I said, hi. I this, and I had a mom and her 10-year-old daughter with us. And they were really nervous, right, because they'd never knocked doors before. And I uh, said, hey, we're here uh, from this church right around the corner, and we just wanted to have a conversation with you about, about Jesus. Can I ask you some questions? And you know what he said to me? If whatever you ask me is not offensive. I thought, wow. Then we can't really talk about much, can we? You see, the reality is, if we are going to talk about anything of substance, anything that truly matters, you run the risk of offending somebody. I mean, if you're going to think and you're going to relate and converse about deep matters that really matter, you're going to make each other, we're going to make each other uncomfortable. But it's pressing through these differences where we achieve greatness. It can't just be one person's thought or philosophy that are cramming down on everybody else's and there's only one thought that exists. We have to have this exchange of ideas. It's impossible not to offend someone. Just, I mean, are you married? Ask somebody who's married if they've ever had a conflict of core values and goals. Or are you working in an office where there's more than one person? Do you have in-laws? Have you ever gone into a a discussion about religion, philosophies of governance, sexuality? I mean, these are are hot topics, and we are going to offend each other in the process. But here's the question for me. It's not if you or I are going to be offended. The question is when you are offended, what are you going to do with that offense? That's the question. And that says a whole lot about who you and I are. But this new philosophy that has been injected into our culture is literally being implemented into all seven mountains of influence. Have you heard of the seven mountains of influence? Check this out. We're looking at arts and entertainment, business, where you're being trained to be hypersensitive to what might offend somebody else. In education, we're being trained. In families, we're being trained not to say certain things, do certain things. Government, we're being trained. The media is shaming people and ruining people's lives because somebody said something that might be offensive to somebody else. And in religion, people are backing away from even talking about things like this or saying things that are offensive, like talking about heaven and hell. Jesus is incredibly offensive. He said he was God, and they said he's a blasphemer, and they killed him. Jesus said that God created male and female. Jesus said that God created marriage between a, be, be between a man and a woman. Jesus said, "We are not supposed to have sex until you are married. Jesus said that our money is connected to our hearts, and if we are not giving to the kingdom of God, we are materialistic and greedy. Jesus, I mean, we see him in pictures like dressed in a nice, flowy gown and emaciated and just looks very weak and you know unthreatening but you read the gospels he offended some people he would go toe-to-toe with people on things that really mattered and he would speak the truth why because that's what love does love wants to set people free and you can't set people free without the truth and this philosophy is complete opposite of the gospel being easily offended which is really what we're being trained to do Look what the Bible says. In Proverbs 19, 11, it says, Good sense and discretion make a man slow to anger. Watch this. And it is his honor and glory to overlook a transgression or an offense without seeking revenge and harboring resentment. Could you imagine if that was the philosophy of the day? Could you imagine if both political parties were like this was a non-negotiable rule. Like you're out if you, don't, if you don't flow according to this value system. This is God's value system. That we would overlook a transgression a, or an offense. But here's the truth. Rather than being taught to overlook an offense, we are being taught to look for an offense. This is why I say it's the trick and the trap of the enemy. All the way down to what are being called microaggressions, which I call microoffenses. Even to implicit bias, which means you're, you're, quote, a racist, you just don't even know it because it's buried so deep inside of you, but we're still holding you accountable for it. This is actually being taught in the humanities and universities. Is microaggressions and implicit bias? Are you saying we should be insensitive? No, the Bible's very clear. Don't be a jerk. But... If we are going to overemphasize not being offensive, then it will, be, it will reduce your ability to communicate your value system down to almost nothing and it will result in a crime that you will have to pay the price for. To be able to assume what's in somebody's heart because of the color of their skin Or because they come from a different culture and so they might say something that might be offensive to another culture. We would literally have to become experts if we were going to follow this philosophy of hyper-offense. We would have to become experts in every culture on the planet, every personality type. We would have to know every person's proclivities. You You can't even talk about a particular culture anymore. You have to talk about the specific person within that culture that works with you in the office. And you have to know what would possibly offend them. And it could just be a look. This is problematic. Like one time, this girl that I dated in high school, I mean uh, college, while I was waiting for you to come along. I decided one day, I thought, I'm going to give her the most romantic look I can possibly give her. I did that. I, I, I just, I, so I looked at her and just gazed into her eyes. And you know what she said to me? She kind of shuddered a little bit. She said, don't look at me like that. And I said, well, this is my romantic look. <laughs> you see, I don't know why God called me to be a pastor, because he didn't give me the baby blues like Josh Hamilton, our worship pastor. You know, you just look at him, and you're just like, he's such a nice guy. You know, you just melt in his, <laughs> in his ocean blue eyes, you know? And, God gives me these deep-set eagle eyes. You know, like this one woman at church one time said, I know when you look at me, you're looking right down into my soul. And I thought, first of all, I don't want to look into your soul. Second of all, God, why did you make me look like this and then call me to be a pastor? Jeez, it's not fair. We, We are grooming speech police. And it's dangerous. When we focus on being offended rather than overcoming offenses, um, it, it causes, doesn't cause people to be strong. It causes people to be enormously weak. One time we, we tried to run a course here at the gathering place on honor. And it was a disaster. You know why? Because as we started learning about honor and the goal was to therefore honor one another, people started becoming overly sensitive to what it means to be dishonored and everybody was feeling like the other ones were dishonoring them, and it just literally deteriorated, deteriorated, deteriorated down into hypersensitivity to being dishonored. And what we wanted to use to bring unity actually brought more disunity. Now, how does this relate to our love series? Because this is being purported as being loving, and I agree. We should be kind with our speech. But when it's hyper um, magnified on every word that comes out of your mouth, every look from your eye, every belief you have, it's destructive. What does the Bible say about love? What does love look like? Look at this. Our chief passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 5b, says this. Love, everybody say love this is the biblical definition of love, is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Look at it in the Amplified. Love is not provoked, nor overly sensitive and eagerly, easily angered. Love. Love does not take into account a wrong endured. Wow. We are becoming experts on what you said, what you did, what you didn't do that offended me. And then we get people to yell with us, and we become incredibly angry, and we riot. I came up with these nifty charts this week. Uh, On the left side, you see offensive words, attitudes, and actions. On the right side is being offended, whether the offense is real or perceived. And this is what's really dangerous, is who is going to be the one that defines hate speech? Who gets to define what words are acceptable and not acceptable? Now, if the speech creates, uh, provokes actions of violence, like calling for actions of violence, that is a crime. But just to have a belief that you speak or something you say about somebody, for that to be uh, reduced to a crime or elevated to a crime is a crime. Because who gets to decide? So what is happening now in our culture is, The right side, being offended, whether the offense is real or perceived, is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's literally crushing the other side down, the offensive words, attitudes, and actions. To where it is literally becoming impossible to even have a relationship with somebody. There are relationships in my life I've decided it's better just not to talk to them. I hate that. Because I'm called to build relationships. As a pastor, I'm supposed to teach on relationships. But some people have become so easily offended and believe things about you that aren't true just because of the color of your skin or the party that you're affiliated with or the country you come from or whether you have money you don't have money. It's class warfare is what it's called. That it's better just not to even relate to them. But even then you're accused because now you won't even, you're not, won't even talk to that person. You see what I'm saying? It's a trap. So when our sensitivity and intolerance grows regarding offensive behavior, which is defined by a small group of people for everyone else, then your ability to speak your opinion shrinks down under the threat of punishment. Gary and Kathy Mancini and myself and my wife were out to dinner. We were having a wonderful dinner. Over we there in Carlsbad somewhere, I think it was. Or, Yeah, it was a sweet dinner. We were talking about uh, Hillary and Trump. And we were throwing them both under the bus. I mean, morally, just you're not going to hold either one of them up as an icon of morality. But boy, the fact that we threw this favorite person's person under the bus, it was a Mom with a five year old son eating next to us, and she overheard our conversation. We were just talking about the mess of it all, not favoring anybody. She came up to our table and said, I am disappointed. And she said, I need to protect my son from people like you. And I mean, she went on and she threw everything she had at us. And my wife, you know, she was calling us racist. My wife said, I'm Hispanic. She said, "That's a racist statement." <laughs> this is what is being taught. We have to be careful about what's really being taught. Now, this is not what I primarily want to emphasize and focus. I want to focus on the other side of the coin because that's where we can actually do something about it. Because this train's already left the station. This speech police has already, been it is growing in our culture. It is growing, and you're not going to stop it. So, how do we relate to it? How do we respond to it? This is going to be my point, but. My wife said, my dad, you know, is from Mexico, but my, my, my grandparents and my, I mean, my heritage is from Spain. I mean, I'm actually Hispanic. And I said, and, and, and by the way, I adopted a black kid from Africa and an, and an Asian kid from Vietnam. She said, well, that's your white guilt. And I thought, well, I thought it was because Jesus appeared to my wife in a dream and said, I want you to adopt these special needs kids for me. I hadn't even thought about the white guilt. But you see, that's implicit. It's so deep inside of me, I'm not even in touch with it. It's really dangerous. It's really dangerous. I could go on and on and on about the ways I see people being offended. It's pervasive. I see it and I hear it everywhere. I've got all sorts of examples, but I, wanna, I don't want to land as heavy on the side of, of the source of offense as I want to talk to us about what to do with the offense? All I'm saying is, our culture is being trained to be hypersensitive to offense. As I said, the gospel is going to be the thing that takes the hit, and I believe this is really when you see something being implemented into a culture and you see fruit of it. Jesus said, "You can tell a, a, a tr- you can tell a tree by its fruit." You got to back up and get at a a divine viewpoint where you see the earth and humanity and you see truths that are coming into the culture and they're shaping a culture and is it bearing divine fruit, godly fruit, or ungodly fruit. That's how you know who the source of it is. And when there is something coming on the pike that's going to shut down the gospel, you can be very clear where that's coming from. Look at the Bible says in the book of Acts. This is after Jesus raised from the dead and Peter preaches a message that is a scathing sermon. And he concludes it with this, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Now he didn't say, you know, you guys didn't really mean to do it. And I know you were upset that day because Jesus did say some offensive things. So I understand why you hung him on the cross and had him killed and all that. And no, that's not what he said. He just said the truth. Whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He just put it out there. And then it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You see, without truth, you can't be cut to the heart. And without being cut to the heart, you can't know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, what's immoral and moral. The Bible says the priest, the pastor's job is to teach God's people between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy. If we don't do our job, there can be no clear definition between right and wrong. There will be those that throw you into prison. And hate you and you lose relationships and you're called names just like these apostles were. Eventually they were martyred. But they gave the truth because it's the only hope the world has. These people at this sermon, this day, were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, then what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, your children, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God recall, 3,000 got saved that day. Isn't that awesome? God's wisdom says this about truth. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You need people in your lives who will tell you the truth, whether it offends you or not. The Bible says in Proverbs 27:6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Those are right out of the book of wisdom. Ephesians says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing. Everybody say growing. You can't grow up without the truth. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. So, again, how does this relate to our love series? I want us to go back to that opening scripture. Look what it says about love. Love is not provoked nor overly sensitive and eagerly angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. Now, let me ask you this question. Why do you think love is not provoked or overly sensitive and easily angered and does not take into account a wrong? Why do you think that's love's behavior? Like I'm asking you. This isn't a rhetorical question. The opposite of pride. pride. Love Love covers. Love what? It's what, loving the person? Loving the person? I'm gonna go with that one. It's all true. Look, we're gonna back up in this same verse, one phrase. Watch this. Love is not self-seeking. It is not provoked overly sensitive, eagerly angered. Does not take into account a wrong endured. It is not self-seeking. Love is not self-centered. It is others-centered. It's not thinking about itself. You're saying, oh, then should people just be abused? Should we be able to say whatever? No, the Bible says don't be a jerk. In fact, in this exact same verse, let's back up one more phrase, and it says this about love. Love is not rude. The Bible says this in Colossians. Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity. For then you'll be prepared to give a respectful answer to anyone who asks about your faith we to respond to people, but respond respectfully because we are representing Jesus to the world. The only people Jesus was brutal with was religious people. Everyone else, man, he took hit after hit after hit, and he did not retaliate. I'm going to show that in a minute. The Bible says in Ephesians, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, as I said, the main portion of this equation I'm going to focus on is not this reality that we are being trained to be hypersensitive to somebody else's potential offense by what you say or what you believe. That's just That train's already left the station. It's going to keep growing. So what do we do about it? We've got to focus on the other side of the equation. And I want you to see this next amazing graph that I created. As offensive words, yeah, thank you. As offensive words and attitudes and actions toward you increase, what does Jesus want for you and I? He wants us to grow by decreasing being offended. Why? Because offense is a trap. In fact, do you know the word offense is the Greek word scandalon, where we get the word scandalous from, and it literally means a trap. That's why Jesus said in the, the daily prayer, his disciples says, Jesus, teach you to pray the way that you pray because the way you pray is effective. The way we pray obviously is not. And in Jesus' daily prayer, he said, Father, forgive us our offenses as we forgive those who offend us you got to catch what's going on here. you really got to take a hold of this. Remember, it's not if you're offended, but when you are offended, what are you going to do with that offense? Because if you don't forgive and let it go and not seek revenge, you are going to be the victim. Because the offended person is the victim. You're victimized and angry. And you got to get back and revenge. Get people on your side, and it rips our society apart. Do you know how they catch monkeys? Watch this.
2: The baboons always have a secret supply of water, and they're not going to tell anybody where it is. And when a mahalahari ventures into the deep Kalahari on a hunting trip, he has to find water, because unlike the bushman, he doesn't know how to make liquid from a root but he has his own way of finding out where the water is. First, he laboriously drills a hole in a giant ant-heap when he is sure a baboon is watching him because he knows baboons are incurably inquisitive. Next, he puts some wild melon seeds into the hole and works them in so that they drop into a hollow. Then he saunters off knowing the baboon is burning with curiosity. The baboon doesn't trust that human being at all, so he plays it cool but he's dying to know what gives in that confounded hole. Finally, Mr. Inquisitive can't take it any longer. He's got to know what's in there. He reaches in, grabs a fistful, and now his hand's too big to come out. If he had the sense to drop the seed, he could free his hand. Now he lets go when it's
0: too late. Okay. Then he takes him home to be his pet and he treats him well. All right. For all of you who are deeply disturbed right now, are you a monkey? Did you know that all he had to do was let go? Let go. Satan is wanting us to be a hyper-offended world so that we want to kill each other? And the answer Jesus has already given to us is to not be offended. What you do with an offense says a lot about you. It, talks, it, 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 tell, it tells about your strength of character your personal security and your identity, your integrity by not making more out of something than it is for personal gain or pity, your trust in God to defend you and your Christ-likeness. Look at what the Bible says about Jesus. You find God's favor by deciding to please God even when you endure hardships because of unjust suffering. For what merit is it to endure mistreatment for wrongdoing? Yet if you are mistreated when you do what is right and you faithfully endure it, this is commendable before God. In fact, you were called to live this way because Christ also suffered in your place, leaving you an example for you to follow. He never sinned and he never spoke deceitfully. When he was verbally abused, he did not return with an insult. When he suffered, he would not threaten retaliation. Jesus faithfully entrusted himself into the hands of God who judges righteously. This is the escape. Jesus was called an illegitimate child because all of his hometown knew he did not have a, uh, that he was born out of wedlock. He was called a deceiver of the people, a liar, a blasphemer. He was even called demon possessed. On one occasion, he was accused of working with Satan. But look how Jesus responded. I want you to read this with me as we, we're coming to a close. Matthew 12. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak. Now imagine that. Just imagine the picture for a second. This poor soul is blind. Just imagine yourself living blind for a moment. And he can't speak. And he's, 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 got, he's right in his mind and his body. He He's thinking but he can't speak and he can't see. And it's because he has a demon so he's tormented on the inside. And so they brought him to Jesus and Jesus healed the man. So we can see who Jesus is, right? He's the deliverer. So that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked God, could it be Jesus? Could this be could Jesus be the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. But it says Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew that they knew that this was the power of God. But they could not tolerate it because Jesus was, all the people were following Jesus and they were losing their power. So Jesus, look at his answer, and this is how it applies to us. Jesus says, any kingdom divided by civil and fighting, I'm sorry. Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. And that is what's happening. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I'm empowered by Satan, what are your demons, what, you, what, what are your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, and the kingdom of God has arrived among you. So he's being unmercifully persecuted here. Character assassination. He goes on to say, For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Jesus is saying that he's stronger than Satan, and he's plundering Satan's house by saving souls. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, watch this, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is another topic, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. Other translations say will be, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven in this world or the world to come. Jesus, who we call our Savior, our Master, our Lord, our God, our Captain, was unmercifully attacked, falsely accused, unjustly treated, called all sorts of names. Accused that his motives were evil and wicked, and this is the precious, perfect Son of God who owns all of heaven and created everything and created us, came down to be with us, to serve us, and they are beating on him in every way possible. And Jesus says, everything you say against me will be forgiven. Because Jesus wasn't self-centered. He was other-centered. He came to serve and to save, not to defend himself. I uh, was driving down the road yesterday thinking about this, and my wife was in the car. And I was thinking to myself, when my wife and I first met, she said to me, you're the hardest to offend person I've ever met. And I was driving down the road yesterday, I thought, I don't think that's true anymore. Something happened to me. And I asked her. I shouldn't have. I said courageously, honey, you said that I used to be the hardest offended person you know. Is that true anymore? She said, no. She said, you've gotten better, but you got bad for a while. And it was true. I became very defensive, easily offended. And I'm going to tell you something. It is a miserable existence. You just walk around angry all the time. I know it's shocking for you to know this about me. Because of the, I just reflect Jesus, like I radiate him. And I'm not going to tell you how I got there. We all have our own stories. But I started becoming a monkey, holding on to offenses. And it was ruining my relationships. It was quenching the spirit within me. You can't operate in the wisdom of God and be angry at the same time. So how did Jesus do it? One, Jesus was not self-focused. Two, Jesus entrusted himself to his Father who always judges righteously. I tell you, if you just trust God, eventually the wheels of divine justice will turn. Sometimes it takes a long time, but you will come out on top if you will humble yourself and let God be your defense. You may need to step up and defend yourself. The Bible says, Um, this. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue tongue that rises up you in judgment, you shall condemn it. There are times when the Lord will have you speak. There are times you do need a defense lawyer. But what I'm talking about is getting into the flesh and getting angry and resentful. and And that's just the way you live. And people in our society, and in the media, and in the political arena, trying to stir it up, and accuse, and social media, saying, you, i read some of these strings on social media, and I'm like, these people are mean, mean-spirited, ugly speech, and accusations, and name-calling, it's awful, and many of them are Christians, and some of them are you. And here's the last thing, I, here's the last reason I think Jesus was so able to walk through life unoffended. First, he knew it was a trap. But secondly, Jesus was on mission. He did not have time to be distracted with personal insults, and neither do you. We must remember that we are on mission, family. We are on mission to unify the body of Christ. And we're on a mission to save the world. And you cannot do that offended. The Bible says that a a root of bitterness in you will spring up and defile everyone around you. Hebrews 12. This is why I'm saying I believe in the name of compassion and sensitivity, this new philosophy that is being spread throughout our world of hypersensitivity over words, actions, behavior, attitudes, looks is doing nothing more than to increase offense. It's ripping families apart, churches apart. It's ripping our government apart. Ripping marriages apart. Best friends being ripped apart. Paul says, why don't you just go ahead and be wronged? 1 Corinthians, he says it. Why don't you just go ahead and be wronged? Just let them have it. And humble yourself. Trust God. What offense are you holding on to this morning? As a Democrat, are you, are you offended at the Republicans? It's an offense. As a Republican, are you offended at the Democrats? Or are we both offended at the independents because they control everything? Because they are the swing vote? Or we're throwing mud at each other and throwing bananas at each other because we're monkeys? The independents really pretty much choose the elections anyway. What is your offense? Are you offended because you perceive somebody as a racist because they're white and you're black and they just didn't look at you right? Or are you offended as a white person because now you're considered racist because of the color of your skin? And white privilege, does that offend you? It's offensive. What are we going to do with these offenses is the question. Don't be a monkey. Don't get trapped. Keep our hearts clean from offense. Then we'd flow in the spirit and the wisdom of God. Love will truly conquer everything the enemy throws at us. I'm going to ask us all to come to the Holy Spirit this morning. Okay, this just came up. Keep your eyes closed and... Just stay with the Holy Spirit here for a moment, because He's going to clean out some arteries today. Some of you, your the heart, the, heart, the, the arteries of your spiritual heart are clogged like a like a carburetor. It's all gunked up. You can't even get started right in the morning. You're waking up just angry, and you're gonna you're going you're that monkey, and you're gonna let go of that offense right now and you're going to say well how can i how will i be able to control the situation you're not controlling it anyway it's controlling you trust god trust him ask him what he ask him what he wants you to be doing Now, this is the word I got a moment ago, and I believe it's from the Holy Spirit. Some of you are taking up somebody else's offense. Kind of like when people want to change the mascots of a school because it's offensive to an Indian tribe. And yet there are cases where the Indian tribe actually says, we actually find it to be an honor. And yet there are people who want to shut it down anyway because they find it offensive and they're not even part of the tribe. It's taking up somebody else's offense. There are landmines everywhere. Okay, now come to the Holy Spirit now and ask Him, Lord, what offense am I holding on to? I'm going to give just a moment for the Holy Spirit to bring this up to all of us. As a show of hands, how many of you would say that something, an offense that's in you just came up in your heart? Raise your hand. There's two honest people in the church. Oh, there's three. There's four, five, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Anybody else? Offended. You're offended. Another hand. Offended. What are you going to do with that offense? I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time because I don't want it just to be rote. I don't want it just to be tradition. If you have offense in your heart, and let it go and trust God. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I do know you're going to be set free, be able to be led by the Holy Spirit again, not by your flesh. I'm going to ask if that was you, if that's you, if you would just stand up and come down to the front of the wall here. As Jesus many times said to the man, stretch out your hand or go to the pool of Siloam and be healed or go tell the priests and they were healed on their way. If you have offense in your heart and you want to draw a line in the sand and say, it's not just about this offense, it's about this whole concept of being offended, I am going to cross the line today. I'm going to come down to the wall. Thank you guys for your courage and your honesty. I'm going to come down front. It's an altar call, is what it is. And I'm going to come down to this wall and say, today is the day that I'm deciding that I am going to wage war on offense. When I recognize offense in my heart, I'm going to call it what it is, and I'm going to let it go. If that's you, would you get up and just come down front here to this wall here. This is a moment of repentance. That means a change of mind. That means I'm changing the way I'm behaving. I'm changing the way I've been operating. I cannot live offended anymore. This is, now go ahead and come down to the sides here so they're just spread out. This is is one of the number one strategies of Satan.